Welcome to My Intermission, a podcast conversation about the transitions and changes we face in life and the strategies and approaches that support us in taking the next step in our journey. I'm your host, Colleen Stanovich. I'm joined today by Dr. Nicole Marcioni. She's a gerontologist, biokinesiologist, and body brain longevity advisor. She's known throughout the world as a leading expert in longevity, brain health, and Pilates. She received her PhD from USC, where her research focused on mind-body exercise effects on cognitive function and mobility in older adults. She's been teaching Pilates since 2005 and has helped hundreds of clients improve their mental wellness, physical health, and cognitive performance. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dr. Nicole Marcioni. I am thrilled to have you on my intermission podcast, and I would love to start with your own story of transition. What in your life was a change moment for you, and especially one that led you to your work today? Thank you so much, Colleen, for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. So yeah, transitions are so interesting. Um, I'm in my mid-40s, and so there's been a few transitions in my life, as most of us have, if we're in our mid forties or older, I would say though, right now, the biggest one that's standing out to me is when I, so I've been teaching Pilates since 2005 and I decided, so I I never went to university right after high school and for various circumstances. And because of that, I always wanted to go back to school, but never really did. And finally, in 2011, I decided I had a lot, I was working with a lot of older clients and I was really interested in learning more about the aging process and how exercise affects aging, how behavior affects aging and vice versa. So that piqued my interest in returning back to school. So I started with a couple of community college classes, not thinking anything about it. And then nine years later, I come out with a PhD. So (laughs) it was a really big transition going from full-time Pilates instructor to then full-time student, well, it was part-time, you know, Pilates instructor, part-time student, and then going into full-time student. So with that transition came a lot of adaptability, a lot of really digging deep into why I wanted to do this, because there were times, as I'm sure anyone who has, is listening, who has gone through grad school, you question it a lot because there are times where you just want to give up and be like, forget this. I was totally happy doing what I was doing. And this is really stressful and I might not make it out alive. So figuring out what my deeper why was. And then as I went through this kind of final phase through my doctoral program, realizing because um, I don't know if you realize this, but when you go into a PhD program, you're expected to come out the other end as a research scientist who opens their own independent lab and basically sits in front of a computer looking at data and writing papers and writing grants all the time. That is the expected trajectory. I knew about six months in that this is not what I wanted, (laughs) but I did want to finish the program. 
So really actually being true to myself after coming out of that, because there was a lot of pressure and a lot of perceived disappointment when I would let people know that I wasn't going into academia after I graduated. And then even this past year, so I am now, I have my um, own business. I work with clients one-on-one and in group settings to improve their longevity. I still teach some Pilates. And a lot of times people will ask me, wait, you teach Pilates? Don't you have a PhD? I had to really dig deep because at first I would get very put off. So, so I had to really do some deeper work on like my own self-worth, my own agency, my own taking control of my life, no matter who had what judgments or thoughts or opinions, whether that were, was, um, you know, family or friends or colleagues or just strangers that really didn't even know me. And I think that was a huge eye-opener for me um, coming out of academia and transitioning into this life of entrepreneurship. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I feel proud of myself to be able to say that I, I did that. So that even is a nice kind of segue into part of what longevity is about. And part of it is connecting with yourself um, and knowing what is going to bring you fulfillment and what your purpose is in life and then using that purpose to guide you through your next steps. That sounds so compelling to say, if something doesn't align with your, with your inner purpose, question it, push back against that. But how do you get in tune with that? I mean, I think your background in Pilates maybe put you very in tune with your body, but I think for a lot of people, it's very, very hard to buck the traditional system and say, no, for me, it's going to be different. So what were some of the, the skills or moments or techniques that you used to, to really listen to yourself in that way? Yeah, good question. So, so yes, I've, I've always been, I guess, a more intuitive person and knowing you know, what my body is saying, what my heart is saying. I definitely have a meditation practice where I sit in the morning um, every morning for 10 to 20 minutes. And I'm fairly, I don't want to say strict about it, but dedicated, dedicated to that practice. And in that those periods are when I kind of have a, have an intention ahead of time, or maybe I'm asking myself a question with this particular situation, I was physically sick Mm. and I actually got an anxiety disorder diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a big wake up call because I had never had that before, but being in that environment under that type of pressure, there were other things that probably had led to that, but this was definitely the catalyst for this diagnosis. And so at a certain point, if we don't listen to ourselves, it'll make us physically ill. Like we will have an upset stomach. We will have horrible headaches. We will have a lot of neck tension or low back pain. Um, we might ha- have to go see a therapist or a doctor and they tell us, look, if, if you don't change something, this is what's going to happen. And un- unfortunately, I think too many of us in the society, 
wait until that point. And then it's not until then that it's finally like this big wake up and smell the coffee. You know, this is, this isn't working well. So, so really like why maybe you feel this isn't what's in alignment with what you're feeling. Um, is it just because maybe something's challenging or does it go against what your, you know, what's ethical for you or, or whatever that might be. But you know, life is really long and life is really short at the same mm-hmm. time. And so if we're not pursuing things that help us to be joyful and happy, it just, it's going to be a, a long, tedious ride. And well, I scary. think really knowing yourself too, is a big part of that, that, as you said, if you can really identify your purpose in life, which is its own work, mm-hmm. but once you identify that and then begin to listen and trust yourself, I think for me also, when, when my body screamed at me for not listening to it earlier, I had an opportunity there to, to learn from it as well and say, what, what are the ways that I can listen to my body in, in the quiet moments when it's trying to lead me with intuition before it gets explosive and it, it shows me physically that something is wrong. One of the things that really strikes me about your work, and I love that you are a longevity advisor, but you really push back against the idea of anti-aging. So can you say a little bit more about why longevity and, and what's up with anti-aging? Yes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my tagline is anti-aging is BS. And the reason is we're so bombarded with all these messages about anti-aging and it's even crept into the scientific community, um, which bothers me a bit, but when, so there's really no such thing as anti-aging. If we're not aging, the only alternative to aging is death. That's it. If we're not aging, we're dead. And we probably don't want to be dead. So, we have to shift that perspective, right? So instead of anti-aging, how do we age well, right? How do we go through the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however, whatever age you may be at and get through and go through those with joy, with vibrancy, with independence, with our minds intact, with our bodies intact. Because really the thing is, is people think of aging in, in negative terms because you know if you think about someone who's aging or old, a lot of times we think of frail or sick or you know, stuck at home, mm-hmm. or maybe they're grouchy, or you know, who knows what the image comes into our mind. But that doesn't mean aging has to be that way. We actually have a very big choice. Um, The way we age is determined 80% by lifestyle and behavior and only 20% by genetics. And so when we discover that fact, now all of a sudden, we're able to take control of what our future is going to be. Because even if you have our genetically disposition to have certain diseases, let's say cancer runs in your family or heart disease or something, there's a whole new study called a field of study called epigenetics, which is basically, yes, you have certain genes, but we can either turn those genes on or turn them off based on what we do. And so it's in that where lies the power. So when people talk to me about anti-aging, 
I always say, because a lot of times people say, oh, you're an anti-aging expert. And I say, absolutely not. And then I, I tell them why. And so instead of anti-aging, we look towards longevity and we can either accelerate the aging process or decelerate the aging process by what we do in our lives. And that's kind of how the four pillars of longevity come into that. Because through all, all the research and studying that I've done, I've kind of distilled it into these four things because it's really hard if there's like 82 different things we have to think about. Right. But if there's four things, that's pretty simple. And it's these simple, small acts that become very large over time and have a bigger impact in our health and wellness, whether it's physical health or mental health. Well, I thought we'd throw that out there first. Just get that term out of Thank the way. Thank you. you. But the, the four pillars that you talk about, one of the things I appreciate them is they're a very holistic look at health too. Sometimes also when we think of aging, we think of our physical selves so much. Yeah. And so can you say more about the four pillars? Yes. So I'll list them all off and then we'll go a little bit deeper in each one. So the first one is movement. The next one is nourishment. So that would have to do with like what we put in our bodies, our food. The third one is connection. And the fourth one is restoration. It's not a hierarchical list. Like these are just four, but not one is more important than the other. They all are, are equally, you know, on equal terms with each other. So most of the time when we think of health and wellness, what are the, the three words that come out of our mouth? diet and exercise. And so, yes, two of those pillars are definitely incorporating those, but connection and relationships is just as important as what we eat is just as important as how we move our bodies. And the same thing with restoration, which we'll talk a little bit more about as well, but under that would be things like sleep and stress management. So it is like you just said, it's, it's a really holistic view and that not one is more important than the other and figuring out how we can integrate these into our um, everyday life. Now for movement, a lot of times people say, Nicole, what, what's, give me the goods. Like what's the best exercise I could do? Is it walking? Is it swimming? Cause that's easy on the joints. Is it this, is it that? And first of all, I just want to say it's whatever you enjoy and will do consistently because I could, you know, talk forever on the benefits of Pilates or the benefits of tennis or the benefits of golf. But if you don't like that, you're not going to do it. So it does no good to say this is the best exercise. So first and foremost, whatever you're going to do on a consistent basis that you enjoy, because then it doesn't feel like a chore or something to just check off your to-do list, but it actually brings you joy and it makes you feel good. And that's another part of, you know, keeping those stress levels down. The next thing though, that I love to add, and this might be new to some of your listeners is what I call cognitively complex physical activity. So Colleen, you've probably at some point in your life been on a treadmill or an elliptical machine and you're watching a TV show or reading a book or listening to a podcast. Maybe some of your listeners right now are <laughs> on a treadmill listening to us. Those are great exercises for your fitness, right? For your heart, but really they don't involve much brain work. 
And how do we know that? Because we're able to listen to a podcast, we're able to watch a TV show, or we're able to read. Like our brain can be completely cut off from what our body is doing because the, the, those things are pretty automatic. What the latest research is finding is that when you can get your brain involved more with your body in physical activity, the benefits of that physical activity are exponential. So some um, examples of this would be anything where you have to learn choreography, where you are reacting to a partner, where you have to know where your body is in space in order to do the movement. And maybe the environment is even challenging. So there's a really long list. What I encourage when I work with people is if you can incorporate this type of activity, don't, don't quit, you know, your daily walks or your, your bike rides. But if you can incorporate this type of cognitively complex physical activity a couple times a week, that really is going to help with longevity because it goes back as well to our brain. Exercise is one of the number one things that helps with neuroplasticity. So our brains, we can change our brains and physical activity actually causes us to produce new neurons. And then those new neurons stay neurons. If we don't exercise those new neurons, because they're not being used, just become, they're called glial cells, which are support cells. And they aren't the type of brain cells that we want. We want more neurons. The other thing that exercise does is it creates more pathways, more connections between those neurons. So if you live in a city, you know, if there's only one road, how packed that, you know, with traffic that can be. But if there's a lot of different connections, then everything can flow more freely. Same thing with our brain. If we only have a few main connections, it can get slowed up. It's like an information highway, right? But if we create more and more connections called redundancy, then our brain has many, our neurons have many, many different ways to connect the various areas and talk to each other and then therefore talk to our body. So that in a nutshell is um, movement. So the second one is nourishment. Now I'm never going to say, you know, oh, you should be eating paleo or keto or vegan or one meal a day or, or whatever the trend du jour of eating is. And let me tell you, you will find studies that back any type of eating. And that's why people, you know, some people thrive on a vegan diet while others feel like they're going to die on a vegan diet or vice versa, you know? And so there are a few universal truths. One is most of us are dehydrated. So to up your hydration, The other thing is incorporating more vegetables. So becoming more plant centric. Now I'm not saying be a vegetarian. I'm just saying most of us don't eat enough plants in our diets. And there's a lot of evidence showing that plants help us to live longer and to eat less sugar and to eat less processed foods. Those are kind of overall general universal truths on how to help our eating. Now, what one thing is that most of us don't do is again, listening to our bodies. If our gut isn't functioning well, then we're not going to absorb the nutrients. And our gut also produces a lot of neurotransmitters as well as hormones and regulates them and basically sends them out to where they're needed. So our gut health is really important when it comes to longevity. In fact, um, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, he said, all disease, 
all disease starts in the gut. This was thousands of years ago when he said this. But now we know if we're constantly eating things that our body sees as an assault, it's going to cause inflammation in our bodies. And now we know that inflammation is the basis of most diseases, heart disease, dementia, cancer, diabetes, um, the list goes on and on. So what causes our bodies to become inflamed? High stress levels and foods that our body doesn't like. Now, I'm not going to give you a list of foods because these could be different for everybody. And they are. I last spring, it was so eye opening. I did, I was having some issues with my gut and I decided to do, I saw a functional medicine doctor and I decided to do a food sensitivities test and three. So I had four highly sensitive foods and then about maybe 10 that I was medium sensitive to. So in the top four were blueberries, romaine and carrots. So yeah. these are three things that everyone would say, oh, these are healthy foods. You should be eating blueberries. And I was eating blueberries almost every day. I was eating almonds almost every day. Um, and yet my body was looking at this like I was attacking it. So I was like basically assaulting my body every single day, which was causing my body to become inflammatory, which is not good for longevity or even in the short term. So as soon as I cut those foods out, I noticed a huge difference. So I would suggest if, if it's in your budget, you can take food sensitivities tests. There's many brands. You can either order it through a doctor or there's some at home tests. If you don't want to take a food sensitivities test, you can do this on your own. It just takes a little more effort. You have to be intuitive with what you're eating and write down for three or four days, maybe five, Everything you eat, I don't care about like, not because of calories or anything, just what you eat and then how you feel. And if you start paying attention to those things, you will notice right away and see the patterns over these few days and then take those foods out and then for maybe 30 days and then bring the food back in and see if you still have that reaction to it. Okay. So I've worked with clients and They've done this and they'll be like, oh, I found out it was potatoes or chicken or, and th these are people who did not do the food sensitivities test. They just decided they wanted to do it on their own and they were able to find this out. And as soon as they took it out, they like felt so much better. So really getting in tune with your body is very, very important. And then last thing about nourishment is um, a topic that's becoming more and more popular, which is intermittent fasting. Now, intermittent fasting or caloric restriction, why is it good for living a longer life? Basically, what this does is it causes our bodies to go into what's called autophagy, which means self-eating. So our bodies are very efficient in getting rid of things that don't work. So when a cell is damaged, our bodies will break that cell down, hence self-eating, and we'll either recycle, reuse, or get rid of completely that damaged cell. So it'll break it down into parts. Our bodies do the same thing with damaged cells. If it doesn't do it, 
what that can lead to if, if we have proliferation of damaged cells that eventually can lead to disease, um, in particular cancers. So we want this natural thing to happen. Well, the problem is, is we live in a society, most of us, where we can eat at any time we want, right? We are hungry, we snack. We get up at midnight, we grab something in the, in the fridge. What that does though, it never lets our body stop digesting food and actually start repairing itself. So with intermittent fasting, what that does is when we allow a window of time where we're not eating, then our body is able to start repairing itself. Now, there is a caveat because a lot of people are, t- are really excited about a 16-hour fast, meaning you don't eat for 16 hours and then in an eight-hour window, you eat whatever you want, but it's only in that eight hours. For whatever reason, it's not fully known yet, probably having to do with hormones, males can do very well on 16-hour fast. A lot of times women cannot, they don't function as well. So I would say, if you want to try this, start with 12 hours. And then if that feels okay, go to 14 hours. What has been shown is that going to 14 hours or going to 16 hours, the benefits are not, there's not that big of a return on investment in that little bit of a jump, but you will get crankier and you will be hungrier. So that we have to weigh the pros and cons, right? And there's an interesting author, researcher, he wrote the book, The End of Alzheimer's by Dale Bredesen. And this is a whole protocol on how to reverse Alzheimer's. He was a researcher at UCLA. Um, He founded the Buck Institute, which is um, an aging think tank. And now he's doing his own thing because he discovered this way of life and now making making a lot of money. on his research, which is fantastic. But what he came up with part of his protocol is called the 12-3 protocol. You fast for 12 hours, and then for three hours before bed, you don't eat anything. So that's a pretty easy way to improve our brain health. So it's a 12-hour fasting window, and then making sure you don't eat within those three hours. So those, those are the kind of highlights for nourishment. So that's kind of a quick overview of the first two pillars, movement and nourishment. Now, connection. Connection we don't really think about when it comes to longevity. Connection would include relationships. This could be with other human beings, but also even with pets. They found that the benefits of feeling connected to another being, whether it's a pet or a human, um, they have very similar effects. And so having someone now it doesn't mean you have to have a partner like you don't have to be married or have a significant other this could be really close family this could be really close friends but someone or a handful of people and it doesn't have to be huge you don't have to have like 50 people that you're super connected with it just has to be a handful of people of those who you can count on and that can count on you and it's the sense of belonging as a human that we just thrive, right? It's this tribe. It goes back to, you know, when we were first starting out, you know, we needed to be part of the community. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to survive. And that, that comes along even to our day. We also need to find connection 
like we talked about at the beginning, to our meaning and our purpose in life. So if we don't have that, then we just kind of go through life being driven by everyone else's wants and needs. And that's not good for our longevity because that creates underlying stress, whether we're conscious of it or not. So finding time to have that meaning or purpose. Now, this could be for some people, it is religion. For some people, it's just finding that connection or purpose of something bigger than themselves. So whether that's God or universe or your community or your you know group of women or men that you take your walks with. I mean, I know we're in COVID right now, so most people aren't doing that. Whoever you're doing your Zoom happy hours with, right. like these, <laughs> these are the things these are the people you hold close to you and that hold you close to them. And when people have that in their life, it winds up actually having not only mental wellness benefits, but physical benefits as well. In fact, there was a study that came out of Harvard a couple of years ago um, talking about social isolation. Now, right now, social isolation is kind of a household world, well, word, household yeah. word. But before COVID happened, social isolation wasn't really talked about much, except for in the world of gerontology, we spoke about it a lot because as people get older, if their spouses pass away, they tend to not get out as much if maybe they're not um, mobile or maybe they're not cog you know, totally intact cognitively, or even a small thing, well, it's not small, but what seems small as like not having um, very good hearing, a lot of times we'll keep someone inside the house because it's just too much effort for them to constantly be saying what, or can you say that again, or pardon me, whatever. So social isolation was, is a big deal when it comes to um, older adults. So what this study, that was a big tangent. So what the study found is that being socially isolated had worse effects on your physical and on your physical health than if you were to smoke 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. Right? Wow. So you were better off smoking a pack of cigarettes a day than being by yourself on your physical um, being. And of course, it's a study out of Harvard. So they, you know, took into consideration all the variables and through their statistics and mm -hmm. all of that came out with this outcome. So that was a huge finding. Um, and therefore, that makes it into our four pillars of longevity on why we don't want to be socially isolated. Um, and then the last connection is to nature. There is a huge study uh, or field of study called biophilia, B-I-O-P-H-I-L-I-A, biophilia. And basically, this is the study of how nature impacts human physiology. So most of us know if we go for a walk in the woods, we feel better, right? That's just kind of something that happens automatically. So you might say, well, no done, Nicole. Of course, of course, connecting to nature is going to make us feel better and lower our stress levels. But what um, has, you know, is being shown in the research is that it actually not only lowers heart rate, lowers blood pressure, but it boosts our immune system and that it helps our bodies uh, produce more, they're called natural killer cells, NK cells. And these natural killer cells are little like guards that are always perusing our entire system, looking for invaders and for what's not supposed to be there. So the more of those we have doing a good job, 
the better we are at staying healthy. So being in nature um, helps this. And so you, if you can get out into the woods, into wherever outside, that's great. Or they're even finding that it has the same similar effects if you bring the plants into you. Oh, so, wow. so yeah, it, lots of indoor plants and even looking at a scene of outdoors can help stimulate these things, right? Cause our brain doesn't mm-hmm. always know reality from uh, what we're, what we're looking at or from perception. So, so yeah, it's a, there's a whole root line of, of research coming out of that. So I love, I love that. And then lastly, restoration. So most of us do not get enough sleep. Most of us do not take care of our stress levels. And this hydration and sleep are the two main things when I work with people. Those are usually the two biggest needle movers when it comes to your health now and your long-term health for in the future. One reason is that when we sleep, our, our brains actually get, it's like they go through a car wash. So our brain, this is fascinating. The latest reason that it just, I think 2014 is when this was found out. It's called the glymphatic system with a G glymphatic system. Our brains actually shrink when we go to sleep, they shrink by 18%, the volume which allows for it to be flushed out by fluid that not only brings in nutrients that are needed, but then cleans out all the metabolic junk that collects in our brain. Now you might think, well, why is our brain, why does our brain have metabolic junk? Well, our brain is highly active, right? Our brain only takes up like 2% of our body weight, but it uses 20% of our fuel. So it's like a race car. It's always needing more fuel. And just like a car, it has exhaust, right? There's pollution and and byproducts that are, are spewed out because of that engine. Same thing in our little cells that are making, um, it's called ATP energy and our bodies use that up, but there's byproducts that our body doesn't need. And if we don't get that cleared out, what happens is eventually things get gunked up. And I say gunked, which is literally true, because if you are familiar with Alzheimer's, one of the things that have been uh, implicated in Alzheimer's is this protein called beta amyloid, and it causes plaques. Hmm. So sticky plaques that kill the neurons. So think of plaque on your teeth, you know, when you Mm -hmm. go to the dentist, they scrape all that yucky junk off. Well, that happens in our brains. If this system, this glymphatic system doesn't get turned on on a regular basis. So that happens when we sleep, doesn't happen when we're awake. So that now they're finding is one of the main mechanisms of why sleep is so important. And then stress management. So there's many, many different ways you can lower your stress. Now I say stress management because we're never going to live in a world or a life without any stress, right? Right. So how do we cope with that? One is actually really determining and realizing what our stressors are and then being proactive. If we can plan for them, plan ahead, and then doing daily things that can help. Now, meditation is one. If the meditation isn't in your routine, that's okay. It doesn't have to look like sitting in a cross-legged position with a, you know, certain hand position and saying, Oh, 
That is one way to meditate, but meditation is just the purposeful paying attention, purposeful paying attention. So that could be on a walk. You could purposely be paying attention. That could be just sitting and purposely pay attention to your breathing in and out. And actually that's the number one thing, breathing. Mm -hmm. We can all do it. We all know how to do it. It's free and it's accessible at every moment in our life, right? Until we die. So breathing deeply, letting our belly fill, letting our ribs open up. So we're not shallow breathing in our collars and shoulders, breathing deeply stimulates a nerve called the vagus nerve, which turns on our rest and digest nervous system. It's called the parasympathetic nervous system. So probably most of us have heard of the fight or flight or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. That's called the sympathetic nervous system. That's the uh, formal term. That's on one side. And then you have on the other side, it's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest, digest, or heal. Now, not those cannot simultaneously be on. If one is on, the other is off. So if we are constantly in this stressed out fight, flight or fight state of being, we will never rest, digest, or heal. This is why in our common, in our society, we have chronic stomach issues, digestive issues. We aren't able to rest. We can't sleep right? It's because that sympathetic nervous system is not turning off. The simple act of breathing contracts our muscle called the diaphragm, deep breathing, and that vagus nerve runs through the diaphragm. And so when we breathe, the, the, the muscle actually mechanically stimulates that vagus nerve and it turns the parasympathetic system on right away. This is why if you're stressed out and you just sit and you breathe deeply for 30 seconds, almost instantly, you can feel maybe yeah, the stress doesn't go right completely away, yeah, but you, you can feel, feel something. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that is why. So I encourage everyone to take advantage of this built in switch that we have control of. If we can remember, that's the thing. A lot of times we don't remember when we are in those moments to stop and pause and breathe. But that is the easiest way to lower our stress levels. And then the final thing that goes with restoration is to have um, a, a mindset that is of gratitude and of abundance as opposed to not enough or scarcity. And that can be connected to finances, but that can also be connected to just, you know, attitude and anything else doesn't have to be money when I say abundance, but just thankful for what we have and, and, um, you know, and saying it every day, maybe we have a gratitude journal where we write down three things every night, or maybe even just when you wake up, you sit up and you just say, thank you. Thank you for a new day of life. Thank you for, you know, having a roof over my head. Thank you for, uh, well, a night's rest, whatever. And you can be thanking whoever. You can thank yourself. You can thank your, your deity, whoever, whatever it is. But just having that gratitude is very, very important for longevity. Um, so, yeah. So, so those are some of the things, those four things. And you can kind just, of fill in the blanks. Just those four. <laughs> Well, and I, I really appreciate the simplicity of those four and hearing you talk through those four 
there's a lot there. I mean, when you think about, okay, intermittent fasting on top of meditation, on top of um, the cognitively complex physical activities. I mean, you gave me the vocabulary list that I'm tracking. I love it. (laughs) But um, I I just think when people come to you, where do you start with those Mm -hmm. four pillars? Like what what is the the entry point or the first step for a lot of people that you work with in, in starting to work through those four pillars? Yeah. Great question because yeah, it can become overwhelming. And for any of your listeners, um, you want to take whatever the lowest hanging fruit is. So when I work with people, usually, um, with my one-on-one clients, we sit down and we, we talk a bit, like we, I just spoke with you about the four pillars and we decide where they are doing good or where they feel like they're being successful and then where they need help. And so typically we'll start with where they feel like they need a little bit more help. And like I said, usually almost all of the time it's hydration and sleep. And that was really interesting to me when I first started this work, I didn't realize how much the simple act of drinking water would impact people's lives, right? Huge. It helps with sugar cravings. Mm -hmm. It helps with weight management. It helps with our body's functioning just in general, right? We're 75% water. Our brains are, are water and fat. So if we are not giving ourselves enough hydration, we can't function properly. We can't think well, we can't make our decisions. We can't pay attention. All of these things, we can't poop. I mean, this is important. These are Mm -hmm. important functions every day we need to be doing. So those two things I would say, get dialed in on to start. Mm -hmm. How's your hydration? How's your sleep? And there's a lot of different ways you can improve both of those. If you don't like drinking a lot of water, you know, there's herbal tea, a lot of vegetables and fruits have high water content like cucumbers or citrus fruits. You know, so you don't have to just drink water all day, but that should be the base of it. And then you might think, well, how much water should I drink? Well, it's a good standard place to start is to take your weight and then divide it by two and drink that many ounces. So if you weigh 140 pounds, you're going to drink on average 70 ounces of water. Now, if you live in a dry climate, mm-hmm. like you Colleen are in Colorado, it's very right. dry. You need to up your intake. If you exercise hard and you sweat a lot, you need to drink more water. So it just depends on, you know, what environment you're in as well, what your situation is that day. Um, try not to drink too much water before bed though, because then you'll have to wake up and go pee and right, then that then disrupts, disrupts your, your sleep. sleep. Right. So yeah, and- there's a little bit of a balance. Yeah. And there is that interplay between the four pillars too. I mean, even as you were talking through them, I'm like, I can see too, that if you nourish your body, like there's the connection to nature, but that also is some restoration for me. And, uh, there is an interplay between them. So how, um, I guess, can you just say a little bit more about how they're interconnected as well, or some of the other connections you found between them? Yeah. I love that you asked that because we put these into a box, but really a lot of the subtopics I talked about that came under those four main pillars could easily be interchangeable, like you just said. So, you know, we put gut health under um, 
nourishment, but that's also can be under stress management and restoration because our gut, most people don't realize this, our gut makes 90% of our serotonin and our serotonin is our feel good chemical. And our body uses serotonin to create melatonin, which helps us to sleep. So that all was under gut health, but gut health is directly connected to our mental wellness. It's directly connected to our brain function. It even is now being found out that our microbiome, so all the bacteria in our gut, if it's properly functioning, produces hormones and regulates hormones. There's this new part of the microbiome that they've discovered called the astrabolome, which is all about estrogen. So if you're having, if you're a woman listening to this and you're having estrogen issues or hormonal issues, it could be in your gut. It could be fixing your gut will help with your hormonal issues as opposed to then going to a gynecologist or endocrinologist, and then just putting you on hormone replacement therapy or whatever else, like it might be as simple as getting your gut back into a healthy, you know, healthy state of being. So yeah, all of these things, what's good for our brain is good for our body. What's good Mm -hmm. for our gut is good for our brain. When we sleep, that lowers our stress levels. It helps our brain function. When we're in nature, it, um, you know, brings us that connection to ourselves more. It brings us to have, um, you know, our physical body feeling better. It usually when we're in nature, we're moving. So that brings in the movement part. So yeah, they're, they're all kind of, you can move them around as needed and as wanted. And that's why at um, the beginning, I said not one is more important than the other. They are all very interrelated and instead of feeling overwhelmed with all these things you need to do, just pick one or two things. And then once you get those under your belt, you just add another one. I think that's a really nice approach to it too, because I think, although there's four pillars, there's a lot in those pillars and it could feel overwhelming. But the idea that if I start with one, the opportunity for it to have positive impact in the other makes it less overwhelming and and makes it feel more accessible and that there actually will be positive change across everything, even with a change that, that falls under one pillar too. Yeah. And I wanted to add one more thing. Cause, um, what another interesting thing I found working with people, some of the obstacles, one of the biggest obstacles are people believing that they're worthy of doing this for themselves. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I work a lot with people on mindset of self-worth that yes, you are worth taking an extra five minutes to breathe every day. Like you are worth taking the time from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. to not answer emails because people are asking you to answer emails. Mm -hmm. Like you can create those boundaries, but so many people are living their lives, you know, not creating these boundaries and it's making them sick. And sometimes it's really not a big step or action to take. It might feel like it is because you're stepping out of that comfort zone, or it might not even be a comfort zone, but just what you're familiar with, or again, what people are expecting from you, Mm -hmm. but taking the time and actually 
knowing that you are worthy of feeling better, of being your best self, of having the energy, of not feeling exhausted of all the time. You know, you are worth it. You can have this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and until you do, until you figure that out for yourself, no one else is going to do it for you, right? In fact, they're going to treat you how you treat you. So if you're treating you by putting yourself on the back burner, then they're going to think your needs aren't important either. And so they're going to put their needs in front of yours. I think one of the things that I've realized in this podcast and in some of the other work I've done is that sometimes people conflate their self-worth with the roles that they play too. And so a mom with young kids, it's hard to find that time. But I think that if you say, well, I'm a mom and that's, that's part of my self-worth, but also my purpose in life, there's more to it than that. And realizing that you are going to be a better mom if you take care of yourself that's, that is a really huge paradigm for some people. And we hear it all the time, you know, on airplanes, put your own oxygen mask on first, but to really own that and understand the worthiness that you have to make that change and be your best self Mm -hmm. and the impact then that it will have on others when you are fully functioning at your highest level. That's, that's big. It's hard. Yep. Filling up your own cup first makes you a better parent, a better leader. If you have a team, a better human being in general, um, and, and others will notice it. So we are all living through 2020 right now, which has presented a lot of complexities. And I think in some ways has really shown a light for some people on areas that they do want to improve, whether it's their physical self, whether it's their emotional mental health, whether it's their social health. I think it has really put a spotlight for a lot of people on ways that they might want to make change. At the same time, there are an abundance of challenges. And when I think about, especially your four pillars, I think about the connection piece. Mm -hmm. And I think about the restore piece and even the movement piece. Um, There are just some challenges in this moment for us to really step into all those layers of health. So when you're talking to people now in this moment who are struggling Mm -hmm. on those levels, what are some concrete things that you would recommend people do to tend to themselves and those four pillars in COVID appropriate ways? Yeah. Great question. So Two big things is, um, are creativity and adaptability. So I think what came with the pandemic, if two things, if we didn't get sick from it or had a close loved one sick from it, and if we didn't lose our job from it, this time has created space for us to really take inventory of what our life looks like and how we might be able to change things for the better. Right. So I definitely don't want to minimize like the seriousness of some people's situations that have gone through COVID, but for those of us who have not lost our jobs and who um, have not been affected by it through illness, most of us, like you said, it's been very complex situations have changed working from home, maybe homeschooling, having more kids around, more people around, or no people around, depending on what your situation is. It was really important to have that, um, a growth mindset or adapt, being able to adapt. Because if we stay with a fixed mindset on, well, I've always done it this way, 
then that's just going to create a lot of stress in your life when you can't have it that way. So finding a way to be able to become adaptable, to become flexible and to be creative. So for example, with movement, okay, maybe you always went to the gym and now your gym is closed and now you're just like, I hate this. I can't work out. Blah, blah. Well, maybe that's not really true because there are a lot now of things offered online. Maybe there's a certain teacher that you love that you never get to take except for when you went to visit Los Angeles or New York or London or wherever, because that's where they are. And they're this amazing instructor for whatever. And now they're doing Zoom classes that you can take twice a week, right? So, so there's something you can do. Other, um, also, you know, just moving more with your kids. Maybe you have kids at home. So um, I teach a Pilates, online Pilates mat class a couple times a week. And some of my clients, they have their kids rolling around on the mat with them. Now, is it the perfect Pilates class? No, but they're all moving. And that is what's important, right? They're having fun and they're moving. So being adaptable, um, physical, physical health. Yes. Moving mental health is a huge one right now. I don't know if you've noticed, but on the news, I listen to NPR a lot. There's so many more stories now on mental health and mental wellness. That's huge. So knowing what are the things that create more stress? What are the things that make you feel lonely? What are the things that make you feel depressed or anxious? Write them down. Notice when those things are happening, because there might be certain patterns. And then how can we break those patterns? It might be to go out for a five minute walk before the kids start school or before they wake up, or it might be a five minute walk outside before your spouse is asking you, you know, what's for lunch. And you're like, you've always been at the office and I've always been at the office. I'm not the lunch lady. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone, anyone Uh else? Um, So finding those patterns and then being able to insert something like some deep breathing, a glass of water, a big getting up from your desk and stretching. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I think adaptability is the, the number one biggest thing that we can do is to figure out, okay, where am I stuck? Where do I keep saying, Oh, but this isn't how it used to be or no, I can't do this. Like when I work with clients, a lot of times we'll make suggestions and they'll say, oh, I can't do it. That's not possible. Me, from an outsider's perspective, I see the possibility. Mm -hmm. I can't say, yeah, you can, right? Because they have to see that for themselves. But if we can step outside of our self, kind of take a 30,000 foot view And those things that we say, I can't, or it's not possible, or I don't have the time, step back and really think, okay, do I have one minute? Do I have one minute to take a few deep breaths? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a full hour workout, right? It doesn't have to be a gourmet meal. It can be a quick voice text. This is another thing, right? Like, take three people and just send them a voice text. Hey, how are you? I hope you're having a great day. Bye. 
that's it. Do you know how excited that other person feels? And then how excited you feel? Because you know how good you just made them feel. <laughs> like these are little things that don't take a lot of time, but they have that connection piece. They have that restoration piece. They have that movement or nourishment piece and not being so hard on ourselves. We're so an all or nothing yeah. society, right? Well, if I can't do my hour workout, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> if I can't make the most beautiful kale salad, then I might as well just have a frozen pizza. Like there's some in between and all of that. And I'm not saying don't have the frozen pizza. Like have the frozen pizza if that's what you want. But but finding out, finding that, I don't really want to say balance because a lot of times balance isn't the right word, but just the ebb and the flow Mm -hmm. and the adaptability with what you can do with what you have in the time that you have it. And that changes every single day. And maybe it changes every single hour. Yeah. I, I love, I guess I love that permission of just like, you don't, it's not an all or nothing and it changes so much that it's not just about, okay, in the next three months, here's my routine or here's what I'm going to do, but it might be day to day. And I had this image of the, you know, the old stereo, like equalizer buttons of like, okay, you drop the bass, you raise the treble, you do that. And we just, I feel like there are so many slider buttons right now, but the truth is we get to determine how we move Mm -hmm. them day to day. And again, it comes back to self-awareness and knowing ourselves and listening to ourselves too. Yeah. I love that analogy of the equalizer. I'll have to use that. I'll have to steal it from you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nicole, this has been so great. I just, just on so many levels, um, besides my increased vocabulary, I just appreciate all, (laughs) all of your insights into what wellness and and mental health mean as well. And your four pillars, if people want to learn more about your work and what you have to offer, where can we find resources? Yes. Thank you for asking. So I'm sure in the notes, you'll put the, my website, which is integrativeaging.com. Um, I also do a lot on Instagram. Um, I'm at Dr. Nicole Marcioni. Um, and then I have for your listeners who want a little bit, maybe, um, more on this concept of longevity and brain health. Uh, I have a 30, it's 30 tips in 30 days on brain um, health and longevity. And it's, uh, each day, is about a five minute video. Sometimes it's four minutes, sometimes it's six minutes, but each day is a video on something you can easily incorporate in how you into um, improving your brain health or longevity. So if you, um, I would love to offer your listeners this for free, Mm -hmm. they can use the code intermission Mm -hmm. and they'll get that for free. And, um, the link will be below in the notes. Yeah, that's great. I will, I will put the link in the show notes and we'll, we'll share that with listeners. Thank you so much for that. Oh, that's you're welcome. And please anyone and you too, Colleen, like, please email me, DM me. I love this stuff. If you have any questions, if you need, you know, any support around this, like just reach out and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Well, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for, thanks for sharing what you know with all of us today. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's an honor and pleasure. Thank you for so, uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me on the My Intermission podcast. Just a reminder that this week is Cyber Sales Week and I'm having a 20% off sale in the store. If you've been waiting to try out a My Intermission journal, or maybe you know someone turning 40 soon and you want to help them celebrate with intention, 
check out the journals and the digital versions in the store. Until next week, take care and thanks for listening to my intermission.